You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. about the first step, recognition of God. Have you ever been in a place, ever been in a moment when, when God came close to you, real to you, in such a way that you, you were just overcome in some form or fashion? This last Wednesday night was Ash Wednesday, and at the end of the Ash Wednesday service, there's a, a season where we take the ashes uh, pastors do. We took the ashes and we made the sign of the cross either on people's heads or on their hands. And this year we added something new. We gave everyone an opportunity to say if there was something that they can, wanted to confess. And I was standing over here on this aisle and people were coming down. And, and I'd, I've been a part of Ash Wednesday services for a long time in my life. But I was, as I was standing there and people began to come. And they began to say some things out of their own life and their own spirit. It was like something happened inside of me I didn't expect. God seemed to show up. And as people spoke, it was like God was drawing things out of my own self and he was pointing to things. And yet even as I had the task of taking the ashes and putting them on people's foreheads, it was, it was like God is saying, he was saying to me in that moment, he was saying, like, Jason, I really love you. And there is no, nothing in this moment that makes you worthy to stand here and to convey that to other people, but you need to know that I love you and I care about you. And God showed up, and um, for some of you who are in that, in that space, you know I, I could barely even talk and barely even say the words that we use when we put the sign of the cross on someone's forehead. A couple things that, that really mark a person's life when God shows up in a way that they don't really expect is that typically they become very aware that God loves them unconditionally and unreservedly. If you look throughout the pages of Scripture, you'll find that there's all kinds of people who find that God shows up and he does just that. He speaks a word of love that is beyond what they could even think or imagine. And they, they just kind of look into it. They, they kind of are amazed by it. And the other thing that happens in that moment is they become very aware that they're unworthy. They become very aware that there's stuff within them that, that is really messed up, that's really jacked up, that really needs to have God's grace come and meet them. As I was standing there Wednesday night, both of those experiences 
came along and they, they met me in ways that I hadn't expected and I wasn't looking for. And yet God had a way of showing up. In this stage one recognition of God, we're going we're gonna to look at a passage of scripture where God shows up and he does those two very things. He, he begins to display to people within scripture that, that he loves them unconditionally and unreservedly. And that there's something deep down inside of them that they've been hungering for or longing for. Or even the world that's around them where they know things aren't quite right. And they go, what isn't right in the world? It's just kind of like this last week, right? Where we've had another shooting and you know that things aren't right in the world. And you think, what can we do to face it? Uh, what can we do? What can we do about a situation like that? And then as, you, as God comes along... You start looking into your own heart, you realize that there's stuff inside of your own heart that could take you places where you don't want to go. That God has to address the things inside of us. So if you've got your scriptures with you, if you've got a phone, or if you just want to, would like to read off the screen, we'd like to go to a passage of scripture from John 1. And I'm going to read this passage for us. It's John 1, 35 through the end of the chapter. This is a time when Jesus shows up. He begins to make himself known, and people begin to see Jesus for who he is and who they are. And so here's what the, the gospel tells us. The following day, Jesus was again standing by, uh, standing with, or John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and he declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and he saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they rejoined or, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those men who heard, that, heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. When Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And there he found Philip and said to him, Come and follow me. Philip was from Bethesda, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Nazareth, or son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this? Just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. The first uh, person that we're introduced to in this text is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist <coughs> is somebody who had a mission. He had a mission from God. And his mission was to prepare the way 
for God's coming and to prepare the people for what God was wanting to do in, in their own life. And so John had a message. And John's message that he, he routinely preached was this. There are things within each of us that aren't right, and so we need to turn to God and we need to repent. We need to, we need to put on repentance. We need to seek the Lord's face. But, but John knew something. John knew that that's only one part of, of the step. That's only one part of the equation. That's only one part of the movement towards God. Because God has to move towards us, right? We can't just move to God on our own, but God has to move towards us. But John was getting people ready. And so he was out in the wilderness and he was preaching and he was talking about how there are things inside of us that are, are out of place. There are things that we do that are out of place and there are places where we need to come into realignment with God. We need to be ready to be realigned with God. And then Jesus came along and Jesus was baptized. The gospel writer tells us that it was actually the second day, the day after John had baptized Jesus, when Jesus came along and he was walking along, he may have been walking along a hillside when John the Baptist said, look, there he is, the Lamb of God. And previously, John the Baptist had said, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There he is up on the hillside. John said this in such a way that he's saying, this, this message I've been preaching, I've been proclaiming, this message of repentance is, is something that we can enter into, but here comes God himself who walks in human flesh and he walks this earth with us and he walks into the midst of, of John's life in a way that John never expected it. And he walks into the midst of, of our lives, often in times, in, in ways in which we don't expect it. But Jesus comes along, and sometimes he's pointed out, and sometimes he's not. But John the Baptist points him out, and he says, look, there he is. You've been thinking about where Jesus is showing up in your life. Is anybody around you pointing out where Jesus shows up? John the Baptist is a figure. If you listen for somebody like John the Baptist, sometimes you'll, you'll hear that voice. Sometimes it's in the voice of a kid. Or sometimes it's in the voice of somebody who's older. Sometimes it's somebody who's just, they, they look and they're, they're anticipating God drawing near. And somehow, because they look and they wait and they anticipate, God sees that, God gives them the, the vision to see. And so when he's close, they just say something like, there he is. Pay attention. Well, John has some followers. Some people who've been hungering, hungering deeply for what God could do. They've been hungering for God. One of the people we know, his name is Andrew. And when John says, look, there he is, and he said something earlier, the day before, about who Jesus was, Andrew pays attention to that. And this other follower who goes unnamed, they pay attention what John has said and so <coughs> they say thank you very much John you've been a great teacher but we're, you've been pointing to this guy so we think we're going to go follow him for a while and so off they go they, they go to follow after Jesus and Jesus turns around after a bit and he sees a couple of people who are following him and he turns around and he says something very simple right but yet very profound what do you want what do you want, you who are following after me? Have you ever 
had somebody ask you, what, you want, what do you want? In a profound way. Sometimes I get asked the question, what do I want? And, and I've got a very quick answer. Like, I'd like some chocolate. Or uh, I'd like a hamburger. Or uh, Pastor Jim, oftentimes, he'll come into the office and be like, I'm going to Panera. Do you guys want anything? And we're like, of course we want something. <laughs> yeah, what do you want? That's an easy answer to reply to. Does he not do that for you, Pastor Bob? <sighs> Jim, I think Pastor Bob wants you to go into his office asking that question. What do you want? But sometimes you're at a place in life when somebody asks you the question, what do you want? You don't have a quick reply. Because deep down... You're not really sure what you want. You've got all kinds of emotions. You've got all kinds of stuff that's stirring up inside of you. The world around you doesn't look like it's fixed. It doesn't look like it's a place where you can really thrive. You go, what do I want? I don't know. And then there, there are the deep urges of the heart, the deep longings of the heart. Or what is it that a person really wants? A person wants to be accepted. A person wants to be loved. Person wants to be cared for. Every person wants that. Person wants to know that they matter. I have um, done something in the last couple of months I've never done in my life. I went and I watched the same movie twice in the movie theater. I don't, some of you probably do that quite often, but I, I almost never watch the same movie twice in the theater. But The Greatest Showman, I don't know, how, how many of you have seen this? Yeah, a bunch of you? Very good. Don't break out in song. We almost, I mean, you might. You might break out in song. But The Greatest Showman shows this reality, right? It shows this sense of the human condition in this fictionalized, a little fictionalized version of P.T. Barnum's story. P.T. Barnum, who grows up from a, a young chap whose dad barely makes it as a shoe cobbler. And he grows up and he's got to make a way for himself. And then he's able to put this show together, this circus, and yet even as he's successful in putting a circus together, something that people want to come and see, yet the people of high society, the high class, they turn up their noses. And Barnum wants to be accepted, not just by some, but he wants to be accepted by all. And so, so he goes to Europe and he finds this European performer by the name of Jenny Lind, and, and she comes to New York City. If you do a little real background work on this, you'll find out that that when Jenny Lynn's boat landed in New York City, 40,000 people showed up to greet the boat. 20,000 people showed up here sing. She didn't sing the same songs in the movie. I'm, I'm quite confident of that. But she gets on stage and Barnum is pleased because what he's wanted, he's wanted to be accepted. She gets on stage and she sings a song of great irony. Some of you will know these words. You'll, you've, you've listened to these words often, right? And she sings in the midst of that song, all the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world. But it'll never be enough. Never be enough. The irony is the truth there's a truth in that question. What do you want? Barnum wants to be accepted, and yet it's hard to be accepted by, by everybody. It's inconceivable. Barnum wants to be loved, but he lives in a world, you and I live in a world, where we often love 
conditionally, not unconditionally. Barnum wants to know that he, he matters. And yet there's all of these questions. And Jenny Lynn says, sings, everything that we, we seek to put around us that'll show us that all of those things are real, at some point they just kind of all slip through our fingers like sand. Jesus turns to the two guys who are following. And he says, what do you want? You know, to all of us, the question comes, what is it that you're really seeking after? And they, being good Jewish boys, and not being super direct, say, where are you staying? Which is another way of like, we don't really know what we're looking for, but we think you might be able to show us. And so Jesus turns around and he says, come and see. Just come and see. Come with me. Come and see where I live. Come and see where I sleep. Come and see what happens. You know, this is one of Jesus' repeated lines throughout the Gospels. When people are inquisitive about who Jesus is, when people want to check out what Jesus is up to, even when John the Baptist has his own doubts and he sends his disciples to see if Jesus really is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus says, come and see. Watch what I do. Watch what happens in the lives of people who've drawn up close to me and who follow me. Come and see. Some of us here in this room, we've walked with Jesus for a long time. We know what happens when we follow Jesus. We see the fruit of Jesus' presence in Jesus' life in our own life. And, and following Jesus does stuff in us that we couldn't have thought or imagined. And some of the rest of us, we're, we're kind of looking in on from the outside. We're watching what happens when people pull up alongside Jesus. You need to know that Jesus sees you. He knows that you're there. He knows that you're looking on from a distance. And the invitation he says to the two guys who are following, he says to you and he says to me, come and see. Come closer. Why are you so far away? Come and see what happens as people follow after me. And so they do. Andrew and this other disciple, they, they pull up alongside Jesus. They hang, they hang out with him. And before long, John, the, the gospel writer, tells us that, that Andrew comes to this realization. And he gets up from the table and he runs after his brother, Peter. And when he gets to Peter, he has this comment. He says, Peter, we found the Messiah. The person we've been looking for, we found him. Now, the Messiah is, a, is an old word, a word that we may or may not understand. And in the text that I read there, it said it meant it's, he's the Christ. And what does that mean? Or another translation will say he's the anointed one. What does the anointed one mean? I was thinking uh, about the whole Marvel series and about how and, uh, Black Panther's out, right, just out this week. And, and there are these heroes, these heroes that the world waits for in the Marvel series because the world knows that, that things are out of whack. And so it looks for somebody who's got not only the desire to do something, but also the capacity, the power to do something. And so when Andrew says to his brother Simon, and he says, Simon, we found the Messiah, he's saying, 
all the stuff inside of us and around us that we know is wrong, we found somebody who's got the capacity and the power to do something about it. Come and see this person that we found. And so he brings with him, he brings Simon, his brother, and they go back to where Jesus is at. And as they're standing before Jesus, Simon's never met him, has never been introduced to him. Jesus, Jesus says these words. Simon, son of, uh-oh, I better. He says, Simon, son of John, you are going to be called Cephas or Peter. Simon, son of John, you are going to be called Cephas or Peter. Now, that's pretty audacious, isn't it? Have you ever met somebody and the first thing they do is change your name? Um, I don't know what I'd think about that in that moment. Hi, you are this, but you're going to be that. Uh, what is going on here? You want to explain yourself? Pretty bold move by Jesus. But the thing about that bold move from Jesus is that even as Peter in that moment looks back at him, he's like, how can you do this? The reality that the gospel writer is telling us is that Jesus, Jesus has come looking for Simon. He's come looking for all of those who are beginning to follow after him. You see, on the one hand, we can be people who know the reality of spiritual hunger. And so we go looking for spiritual bread. We go looking for spiritual food. In fact, the world is full of people who are spiritually hungry. And sometimes we don't do anything with it, and sometimes we do. But we go looking. And we find all kinds of places where people will say, this will, this will feed your hunger. And we find out that it doesn't. When Simon stands before Jesus and he says, you are Simon. What the gospel writers are telling us is that the, the hunt, the spiritual hunt that we all go on is not something that we go on alone. But Jesus himself comes after Peter. Jesus himself comes looking after you and after me. And Jesus knows who Simon is, and he knows who we are. He knows the things that make us happy and thrill our hearts. He knows the things that weigh us down, and the, he knows the burdens that we carry. He knows what we're made of, and he knows what we're made for. And so as Simon stands before him, and Jesus has the audacity to change his name in that moment, Jesus is really looking into the depths of his heart, and he's saying, Simon, You've been somebody who's been looking. And I've been looking for you. And the journey that we go on, the journey that we go on from this place is going to be a journey that you can't even begin to think of or imagine. And that's why your name's going to change because everything about who you're meant to be is going to come into fruition. So he said, Simon, your name is going to be Peter. Well, the next day, this whole experience happens again. When, when Philip hears Jesus saying, come follow me, and then Philip has 
the audacity to say, you know what, I found somebody who really matters, and he goes off and he gets his buddy Nathaniel, and he takes Nathaniel to Jesus. And Nathaniel is kind of somebody who's a skeptic. He's unmoved. He asks the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Have you, you ever been a skeptical person like that? You ever asked the question, can anything good come out of some other place or some other person? I've got a little bit of that skeptical bone in me from time to time. And Nathaniel's a bit of a skeptic. And Jesus doesn't wash away the skepticism. He, he recognizes it. and He speaks to it. He says, Nathaniel, you've been skeptical up to this point. But there's going to be a day when you see greater things, things that you've never imagined, things that you've never dreamed of, if you go on a journey with me. Friends, all of us, all of us have moments when Jesus walks into our life. And sometimes somebody will point it out like John the Baptist. They'll say, there's, there's Jesus. And we don't seize those moments. We don't step into that moment. We let it pass. But there's other moments when Jesus comes back around. He comes back around and somebody will say, there he is again. Jesus is close to us. And he gives us a sense of unconditional love. Love that we don't deserve. The sense of his presence, the sense of his care. And he gives us an opportunity to hear him say once again to us, come follow me. Come follow me. Come and see. Come be somebody who discovers what God is up to and what God's made you for. Some of us in this room, we've been seeking. And we need to know that God is seeking us. And this morning, if you've never said yes, if you've never jumped in on the road of Jesus, if you've never begun to follow, let me encourage you, get on the road. Hear Jesus say, come and see, come and follow. And some of us here, we've been following for a long time. We've been following for a long time. And we've got brothers or sisters We've got people like Simon that Andrew had to go to and he say, hey, we found the person we've been looking for. Come and see this one named Jesus. We don't have to do a big job of convincing others. We just have to make the introduction and let Jesus do what Jesus does.